Yeah. Had to take a nap because I'm tired of the cap. cap. Body programs to be wired to the trap. Yeah. Get the back flipping and desire the racks. He lost in the sauce and it costs what it costs. Hey. The beat play shit transpire in the rap. Right. Johnny stay lit like the fire at the camp. Life got dark for a minute, no gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Film Room Second Podcast. It, it was it was it was a rough week, everybody. And if you paid attention to the games this past week, you would know why it did not go the way that we were hoping as Kings fans, and as most of us in here predicted, not me. The week just did not go as planned. Um, I knew that this was coming. Uh, Fish guy and Kings film room obviously thought differently, and uh, yeah. You know, you guys can probably just blame them, but uh, I'll let them speak their piece. Fish guy, how you doing? Well, thank God the Kings didn't play today <laughs> because I would be doing terrible, but God bless Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers because they keep winning, damn it. Amen. And you know what? We're ready. We're ready to, to ride off into the sunset and watch them win our damn Super Bowl this year. All right. Uh, somebody else's football team did not did not qualify for the playoffs. However, we we've talked about this so much. Mike Tomlin is going to just find a way to either go 500 or better. And he did. And uh, unfortunately, the Steelers did not get into the playoffs. So I know that that part about today we're recording this on Sunday. That part about today sucked for you, KFR. Um, but, you know, aside from that, how are you doing? Um, terrible. Thanks for asking. <laughs> You know, between the Kings and Steelers, uh, yeah, my sports teams aren't looking too great right now, even though the Steelers do win the season, like, as a winning team. I hate that I was right about everything <laughs> and that they would find a way to be back in the playoff conversation but then lose or miss the playoffs just basically at the last second on a field goal by something they can't control. Yep. But Mike Tomlin is not a loser, so that that is something. But uh, yeah, as someone who, uh, again, we talk about it, our mental health is, you know, revolved around our sports teams and to have a football team not qualify for the playoffs and the Kings just lost to the Lakers. It, it's not it's not a great place to be in right now. No, no, it is not. Um, yeah, thank God. Thank God the Niners exist, because if they did not, Fish Guy and I would be in the gutter. We would be mudded, everybody. You you'd probably... <laughs> you probably wouldn't have heard from us, uh, heard from us over this past week, uh, but uh, yeah, thank goodness one of our teams knows how to win. So let's 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 get into this. Uh, obviously, we're going to start this off on a positive note. The Kings went into Utah, uh, their first game of the week, which was on Tuesday this past week, and they got a huge road win in Utah. Uh, that game was just insanity. De'Aaron Fox with yet another. Late game takeover. He ended up with 37 points in that game. The Kings won 117-115. For a second, it did not look like the Kings did win because Lowry Markinen caught a length of the court pass off of the inbounds off of uh, Fox's game-winning layup, eventual game-winning layup. Caught it, turned, and he threw up some junk, and it went in, right? And uh, for a second, everybody thought that it had counted. They obviously reviewed it, deemed that it was no bucket. Ball was still in his hands as the clock expired, and the Kings escaped Salt Lake City with a win. And not just 
any win, but it was their second win over Utah over the course of five days. And with Utah factoring in into the into the playoff picture, like many of us totally expected, uh, that was a huge win against a team that was below them in the standings. So great win to start off the week. Fish guy. After a win like that, do you think that maybe they were just a little bit exhausted heading into the next night? I mean, I know I might be getting ahead of myself here. I, we're going to talk about the Hawks game, but that game was crazy. It was, it was, it was, it was a back and forth affair. And I mean, the Kings just really, really exhausted themselves the night before on the first half of a back-to-back. Uh, great win, but at what cost? Is, is, is that what you're kind of feeling like? Um, well, I don't really think the Kings came out kind of slow. I, I feel like the Kings didn't come out sluggish against the Hawks because of this game. Um, I feel like the Kings, the, the Jazz game, it's going to sound crazy. It didn't feel like a hard-fought game to me, right? Because it was just like, there wasn't anything that made me think, okay, De'Aaron Fox is exhausted, right? Like, you know, we've seen games, right? When you just look at De'Aaron Fox, you're like, damn, this guy is beat. He needs a breather, you know? It didn't look like that, especially because he went off in the fourth quarter. When he scored 20 points in the fourth quarter, I think it was. Um, 22. <laughs> 22 points in the fourth quarter, yeah. And, which is a career high. I think it's a, a Kings uh, franchise record, right? And, and yeah, and definitely a career high for, for Fox in the fourth quarter, yeah. Yeah, and... um. Sabonis uh, played also really well against the Jazz. Um, I also didn't think he he looked sluggish, you know, in the next game against the Hawks. I don't know that that Jazz game to me. It never was in doubt. I know that Larry Markin hit that shot, and then like whatever happened, we we ended up having to come come back from down. Like I think it was like five points. I just I I feel like in games like that, talent always prevails. And, you know, while the, the Jazz are a pretty decent team, they're not more talented than the Kings, you know, and I don't think they're they're better coached than the Kings, even though I do like Will Hardy a lot. Um, So that game was never in doubt to me. The one thing I will say, though, is looking at the box scores, you got the starting lineup. Four guys played over 37 minutes. That's a problem. The Kings have nothing to rely on on the bench. You know, Malik Monk is the only guy off the bench that can give you real productive scoring and efficient scoring. And even he's been kind of like, you know, a little shaky lately, which I mean, that's his archetype. I'm not I'm not really too worried about, you know, him. He's he's a he's a microwave, you know what I mean? He's a he's a he's a burner. So you you're going to see games where he scores 20, you're going to see games where he scores 5. It's that's not a problem. But when you're playing your starters 37 minutes, 37 minutes, 38 minutes, 39 minutes, that's a problem because that means you don't have any faith in the bench, which I don't blame Mike Brown. I mean, after the Lakers game, I mean, well, we're going we're gonna to get into that, but after the Lakers game, if you heard his press conference, he was just like, uh, like, you know, I love my guys, but something's got to give. And, you know, I will say, it's a breath of fresh air because Keegan Murray does look really good lately. And so does Kevin Herter. Um, 
Harrison Barnes even had even had a pretty good game against Utah, but somebody else has got to step up. You know, we need somebody off the bench to step up outside of Malik Monk. Davion's been disappointing. Rashawn Holmes is, is struggling bad this year. Trey Lyles has been better. He's definitely Trey Lyles has been a. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. Trey Lyles has been pretty good. You know, he's been doing the little things, but we need scoring off the bench. You know, there's a big reason why Mike Brown can't take Sabonis out the game for that long, or even Darren Fox at the game for that long, because we don't have no type of like offense. You know, I don't know the. It's I wasn't really too worried going into the Utah game, but after the the way the rest of the week went. I don't know. Yeah. The bench thing, which we, I'm sure we'll have a conver- uh, an extended conversation about. I mean, dude, the Utah game, the bench scored eight points. Eight. That's just, it's just not going to get it done on most nights. Um, yeah. In the end, look, you can't be picky about really look again. We're Kings fans. We can't be picky about any wins especially not road wins like that. And we talked about this last week. Utah, usually a house of horrors for the Kings. I, I I really can't think of like too many occasions where the Kings went in there and 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 won a lot of games. Bottom line is, is it's, it's a tough place to play. They got a win in Utah against a team that they absolutely needed to defeat, a team that was beneath them in the standings. You got to try to make some headway there now, early on in the season. And, you know, they did that. So, Credit to them. We'll move on to the next night, though. The Hawks. And last week, we were talking about how, like, yeah, that team is in a state of flux. Nate McMillan and Trey Young have beef, and there's all this stuff happening. And this was an opportunity for the Kings to take advantage against a team that looked listless coming into Wednesday night's game, and they failed to do so. They just could not defend a lick. And uh, I think they got, you know, overly frustrated sometimes with some of the, just the Trey Young theatrics and whatnot. And, and, you know, KFR, you can talk about that a little bit more. Uh, I know that, I know that, you know, you were sending out tweets about that thing specifically during the game. Um, You know, plenty of opportunities in that game too, down the stretch to, to either close it out or, or, you know, they did a great job getting back in that game down the stretch because they were down by nine points and they came back and, and they made it a game with under a minute to go, but just squandered some opportunities late. I mean, DeJounte Murray made a great defensive play too at the end of the game. Aside from that stuff that's isolated in crunch time, the rest of that game was just, I mean, it was there for the taking. That's a team that the Kings should beat. They got swept by the Hawks this season. Really hope that at the end of the season, we don't look back on that and... And, and rue the fact that they could not beat. I mean, could not even just get at least a split against that Hawks team, which probably, you know, they're on the outside looking in right now with the playoff picture, I believe, in the Eastern Conference. So, KFR, your thoughts on that game on Wednesday night? This game and the Laker game are, like, parallel in so many ways. And just, neither team got any separation at all. There was really no defense played on either side for basically the entire game. And then somehow the Kings will simultaneously be great in late-game execution, but also terrible. And that they'll go down by like 7-8 in these games. They'll climb their way back, end up taking the lead. There was the sequence late in this game where they're down by like 7 with like 3.30 left. They come back, Herder hits a 3, Fox has a monster dunk, and he gets an and one. The Kings go up by like 3 or 4. 
you would think at that point there's no way the Kings would lose with all the momentum they just got, but then that things just fall apart after that, and it's just a number of things. It's a questionable call on Trey Young, which you know that it sucks. His theatrics will get rewarded. It's not against, not just against the Kings though. He, that happens against everybody. Sabonis misses two free throws. I mean, just unlucky at the worst time. The Kings hadn't missed a free throw all game. They were a perfect 25 for 25, and then Sabonis misses the two that they absolutely need. And then a couple bad turnovers from Fox. It's just, you have to live with this because at the same time, you know, you'll be mad at Fox, you'll be mad at Sabonis, but they got the Kings in that position in the first place, and Fox has had so many late-game heroics to get Kings wins. That you know he's not going to be perfect every time, but the stats for this game was just crazy. Just looking at it, the Kings shot better from three, shot better from the line. They won the offensive rebound battle, won the turnover battle. They had more points in the paint, and they lost. I I like if you win every single one of those categories, I I don't understand how you don't win by twenty. Yeah, it it just probably for this game. Just falls back on defense. The Hawks shot 53.6%. Transition defense was terrible. It's been terrible like for this whole stretch for the Kings. And I, I mentioned it uh, to you guys earlier. I think the Hawks like disjointed offense probably worked their advantage. Oh, yeah. Because it's a lot of guys just like going. It's basically you're, you're on an island for the Kings defense because they're not running too many like advanced sets. It's just pick and roll or isolation setting and their guys are just better. The Kings don't have good point of attack defenders, so these guys can just get picked apart. And not having a rim protector in Sabonis, you, you know, Fox just can't stay in front of Trey Young. Like that's not going to happen, and that's the case for a lot of players. But the, but there's no rim protector back there to protect Fox, and so if they just keep attacking that, there's there's really nothing they can do. And they would get switches they want. Like DeAndre Hunter had a big game, and he had some buckets on Keegan Murray, but it was mainly switches. Like the, he would get Davion on him and. Davion's like seven inches shorter. There's nothing he can do. And in those situations, you know, when they just play one-on-one basketball, I, there, there's nothing the Kings can do defensively just with the personnel they have. Yeah, they they just lost this game, and it sucks because they there's really no excuse for this, especially against a team that's on the second night of a back-to-back that just isn't good in the first place, like as right now. Yeah. Yeah, I if I'm a, I I feel like there are two fan bases right now that are just like just having complete and total meltdowns uh, or at least were the Hawks fan base is one of them. I mean, I don't know if you guys, you know, for those for those of you out there listening, I don't know if you guys saw this, but you know, Hawks fans were saying that they were just going to be Kings fans and they were turning their subreddit on on I I'm not on Reddit, but I was told by people who do frequent Reddit like, yeah, they're they're turning their entire subreddit into a Kings fan space because they love Kevin Herter and they miss him. And and then and then the Rockets right now. I mean, their fans can't stand watching that team. And and lo and behold, the Rockets come to town for two games this coming week, and they play offense in a very similar fashion to the Hawks. Which you know that team's a lot younger, and they're like they're they're much more different than the Hawks as far as like the roster makeup. But bottom line is, is they do just ISO a lot, don't run anything. And and, and you're right. I I do think that when you don't run something as simple as like a I don't know like a ghost screen or like a rub screen or just some pick and roll you just leave guys out there isolated and when the Kings don't have very good point of attack defenders, that's going to work against them, especially when you have guys on that team like Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, you know, like those guys can, can break guys down one-on-one and they can get other guys involved. So yeah, that most of the time you're thinking, Oh, 
they they have like this weird disjointed offense that has no flow and no rhythm. That should work to your advantage. Sometimes it can work against you. And if you're Mike Brown and you're Jordy Fernandez and you're telling your defense to do this, this, and that, like, oh yeah, gap this guy, uh, step up on this guy, take away, you know, take away this guy, take away this guy's airspace or whatever. Easier said than done when everything's just an ISO. Uh, if they were involving second players in actions, it'd be different, right? But since they were just leaving guys out there isolated, it's it, it's it, it's gonna it ends up adding up. Um, yeah, look, uh, tough loss. I. I I, I really hoped that that was, that that was like hopefully going to be a wake-up call, though, for the Kings, specifically in, regard, in the regards to you're playing in front of the best fans in the NBA in literally the loudest environment in the NBA this season. How do you continually keep on letting them down? They're not protecting their home court, and, and, we, and, and, we, and we talked about this. Like, these fans are ready. They came back from a six-game road trip. These fans are ready, you know? They, they went on the road, got a big win against Utah. They came back. These fans were ready, and they've been ready every single time. And yet, for some reason, the Kings still played down to competition even when they come back home and they play in front of a raucous crowd. And, and that's something that, like, that, that just does not compute. That does not add up. Um, real quick down the stretch, though. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, this is one of the last plays of the game. DeJounte Murray picks De'Aaron Fox clean. Goes down the other end, kind of leans into him, you know, may have extended the arm. Well, definitely extended the arm. Cleared a path for himself to get a layup to put the Hawks up by three, which ended up being the the, the final bucket of that game. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you guys think? The next, the next day, the last two-minute report came out, and they said that it was clean. They, they said that every call down the stretch was A-OK, right? I'm not so sure about that. I mean, how much, how much longer... Can they keep on getting away with this without, like, I don't know, legal action being taken? Because this is, in the words of DeMarcus Cousins, this is getting a little ridiculous. What do you guys think? I do like that they doubled down. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I've been saying that. I want them to just double down on, like, clearly obvious wrong calls. Yeah. And, I mean, there was some ticky-tack stuff in the Laker game that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. And both of these games, it's like, yeah, there was some questionable stuff down the stretch. I don't think the Kings lost either of these games because of the refs. Like, if you play poorly, you don't deserve to win. And the Kings played poorly in both these games. But it, but it is annoying that this stuff keeps happening. And, yeah, Deontay or DeJounte clearly pushed off on the final play I, or on that play. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about it. That was nearly the Derrick Henry stiff arm. <laughs> and then the dude gets away with it for a layup. But, I mean, the biggest problem is that it just should have been a layup to begin with because Fox mm-hmm. turned it over. And, yeah. And Trey Young theatrics that that was the one that I would probably be more mad about to be honest because I mean it, it gets annoying. He, you can't get rewarded for making non basketball moves. The rip throughs and the leaning into defenders is always the stuff that I get frustrated with the most. Mm. And it it's just not the worst part is no one in the Kings does it, so we don't get to see the other side of it. Like right. where it, and then. You know, I don't even know what to say about this. It's annoying, but the Kings did not lose because of the refs in these games. There's been games that they have, but I don't think these games yeah. were the perfect indicator of that. I would agree. And and just real quick on that last play where Fox did get picked by Murray, uh, DeJounte Murray, they ran that Horns Ghost Flare set that we saw a lot down the stretch against Utah. So the night before they spammed the set down the set, uh, down the stretch in order to get 
uh, Fox onto the matchups that he wanted. So they were hunting switches. I mean, Keegan was wide open. <laughs> Keegan was wide open coming off of that flare screen after he ghosted, uh, after he ghosted Dejounte. In in an alternate world, I, and this is easy to say because hindsight's twenty twenty. Had he set that screen, DeAndre Hunter probably would have switched on to Fox. But if you wa- if you watch that play back, after 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 Keegan ghosts that screen, DeAndre Hunter is lost. He's just standing there in drop coverage <laughs> with with his hands on down by his sides, just just ball watching De'Aaron Fox. And Keegan's like off that ghost screen, wide open. And had he been able to catch that and attack, I mean, it, it would have been a three on two. You know, the floor would have been in balance. It would have been a three on two situation on the other side of the court. The unfortunate thing is, is since that play did take a little bit of time to develop, and since De'Aaron had his head up looking, I mean you get an elite on ball you get an elite on ball defender like DeJounte Murray on on somebody like that who's who's not being super secure with the ball i mean you know you open yourself to that type of situation so i thought it was the right play call i thought it you know i think it's really interesting that they've added horn stuff finally because i thought i, I think KFR you and i talked about this before the season i think we're expecting to see a lot of horns we've barely seen any of it until now now we're seeing it a lot um and i do like that they've added that in so that they can hunt late game switches um so tough loss but there's still a chance to rebound. Look, the Hawks game was the beginning of a five-game homestand. And each team on this homestand is below 500. So you're expecting the Kings to take advantage here. You know, 5-0 and would be great. We'd love 4-1 and still. That's out the window now because the Kings ended up losing to the Los Angeles Lakers by a score of 136 to 134. Pretty crazy last couple of minutes. A lot of stuff happening down the stretch in this game. All in all, though, I I just look. If you're gonna give up 136 points to somebody, you're not really gonna be able to win a lot of games that way. And you know, credit to the Lakers. That team's starting to figure it out, and they don't even have Anthony Davis right now. And when the Kings can't catch teams like this, you know, kind of similar to the Hawks in a state of flux, not playing their best basketball, at least not yet. It's kind of rough because once these teams do figure it out, it's gonna be really really inconvenient towards the end of the season. Fish guy. Talk to me about this Lakers game. Um, I, I I would imagine Thomas Bryant will be a big part of what you're going to be talking about, and specifically in regards to how the Kings desperately need somebody like him. <laughs> because when Thomas Bryant goes off for 29 and 12, that's an indictment on the lack of options that you have on your team to defend guys like him, right? Yeah, I mean... Kings fans are mad that Thomas Bryant went off. But let me tell you something. Thomas Bryant has been really good the last, like, seven games. He's been he's been sensational since Anthony Davis got hurt. He's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I would know. He's on my fantasy team. So, KFR is lucky. I didn't have him, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, whenever I played him and he beat me. I think it was KFR, but it doesn't matter. That's besides the point. Um, yeah, Thomas Bryant. So, I will say. I do think in the, in the end of the game, or in the second half, the reason why he was super effective was because Domas was in foul trouble. I do think that Sabonis really couldn't put a body on him, and he had to just kind of like play vertical from a distance, if that makes sense. Um, so I think if, that, if we played that same game, same situation over again, and Domas wasn't in foul trouble. Obviously, that's impossible. I don't think Thomas Bryant's going to score 29 again. But I will say I, I'm not I am not in the same boat 
as the rest of the Kings fans that say that we lost the game because of the refs. Like you said, if we if we allow 136 points, we don't deserve to win that game. 136 points in regulation, okay? The, the Kings don't deserve to win that game. It felt like for a second in that third quarter, the Kings were about to just bust the whole game wide open and blow the Lakers out. But then they just like took their foot off the gas and the Lakers came right back. I think they, they were up by nine or eight or nine. And then the Lakers came right back and went like an 11 to two run. And it's like, damn, like the Kings, they have a habit of that where they'll go, 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 build up a three possession lead, a four possession lead. And then the, they'll take their foot off the gas. And then the, the opposing team comes back and makes it a one possession game, you know? It, I mean, if you look at the box score, you know, it goes back to what we were saying. If you score, the Kings scored 134 points, which is great, but the bench only scored 24 of that. So if you do the math, and I'm going to do the math right now, real quick, the bench only scored 18% of the points. You know, you usually want to be around 70-30, 60-40. The bench is just not, not cutting it right now, especially the backup five. Rashawn Holmes was borderline unplayable in a game where DeMontis Sabonis was in, was in foul trouble. You know, the Kings couldn't play any backup five. Now, Trey Lyles played really well, I, I feel like. You know, he definitely flashed, but... When Trey Lyles was in the game, guess what? They were switching LeBron onto him every single time. Like, the, the Lakers were attacking him. And it's not, it's, it's not a shot at Trey Lyles, but, I mean, that's LeBron James. You know? So, you couldn't play Rashawn Holmes at the back of five. You couldn't play Trey Lyles at the back of five. Sabonis is in foul trouble. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? The Kings have to find something. They have to find a, a, at least a Band-Aid. For this season, and they have to find it quickly because the bench scoring has been terrible, the backup five play has been terrible, the wing de- defense has been terrible, the point of attack defense in general has been god awful. Um, we were talking about it uh, in our little group chat. The Kings are just closing out, like oh my god, the Lakers didn't hit a three pointer in the second half at all, right? And the Kings are closing out Russell Westbrook as hard as someone can close out. I don't think any team has ever closed out Russell Westbrook as hard as the Kings did. Yeah, they they were closing out at him as if he was like prime Ray Allen. Like prime, a hybrid of Ray Allen and Steph Curry. Like, yeah, what the fuck? Well, maybe they saw the numbers that I put out at halftime. Oh, yeah, maybe. Six yeah. of nine from three against the Kings. I, I don't know what he ended up in that game, but that's ridiculous. Six of nine from three against the Kings. And honestly, I don't care about that. He's Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? Like, you let him shoot the ball. Russell Westbrook, he killed the Kings. I think Russell Westbrook was, was the Lakers' best player last night. Like, I know LeBron had his 37, whatever. But Russell Westbrook really affected the game to a whole nother level. And he, guess what? He's off the bench. You know, he played He played against our second unit, you know, a good amount. You know, he played with the starters a lot too, but Davion couldn't check him. I mean, now, I will say, there was times where Russell Westbrook was just lowering his shoulder on Davion and Fox. 
And like trying to truck over them, the refs weren't calling anything. I think they called one offensive yeah, foul on him. Yeah, he he also tackled Casey Akpala into the stanchion on the same play that Fox got called for that questionable foul call on this. You know, at the end of the game where Schroeder was awarded two free throws. Like no, they didn't they didn't say they didn't do anything about that, which I don't get. But yeah, yeah, there was one defender who Russ just absolutely torched in that second unit. That was Terrence Davis. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, Terrence Davis, that's a whole other discussion. Well, I mean, we're going to get into that. But, yeah, in general, like, the Lakers had three starters score over 27 points. And then they had Russell Westbrook score 23 and 15 assists off the bench. Like, it just feels like the Kings' defense is, like, they're not really forcing turnovers. In a game where there was a combined – 270 points or 280 points, whatever it was. The Kings only forced 17 turnovers. You know what I mean? Like you would think a game like that is either a teams are just hitting a lot of their shots or B it's a lot of transition basketball. And it was a, the Lakers shot 61%. And you know what? I know that we've talked about the Kings paint defense being really bad. Their rim protection has been not great. But a team like the Lakers just destroying the Kings where they didn't have Anthony Davis, destroying the Kings in the paint, that's a big, 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 big problem. And I don't think this was just like an anomaly. I think this is – I think this might be something that other teams are going to see and they're going to start attacking it. More and more and more and more every night. I know teams attack it in general, but the Kings usually combat it. Over this last week, the Kings have the Kings defense has been probably the worst in the NBA. I think we are the worst in the NBA, actually. I think we're like 29th, right? Or 28th in defensive rating. No, we're actually the Kings are still 25th. Um I'm talking about over the last week. Over the last week, though, I mean, if you fall from you know, 15th or whatever they were for a second, they're all the way down to 25th. I can only assume that over the past three weeks, this has been the worst defense in the league. To drop 10 spots with that big of a sample size, yeah, there's there's no doubt in my mind that they're like a bottom three team on defense these, these last three, four weeks. Yeah, so I think that, okay, fixing the paint defense is going to be hard. You know, you you got to find a guy. You got you to find a specific guy who's going to fit a specific role on this specific team. In order to combat that, the Kings need to find they need to find some good wing defenders. They need to find some good point of attack defenders. And they don't they have what one? Maybe two, maybe uh, Malik Monk, I guess you could say is No, uh, no, Akpala and, and and Davion Mitchell are two very good point of attack defenders. It's just obviously their effectiveness is mitigated when they're on the court because they just don't give you anything offensively most of the time. So Yeah. Well, actually, I did see a uh, side note. I did see a thing about Davion Mitchell. He's actually been finishing at the rim really well this year. Yeah, yeah. He's he's been surprisingly good at finishing at the rim. Yeah. So that's nice, but I don't know that that's that still doesn't really. He hit three three pointers against the Lakers, which was nice to see, and then he just didn't do anything in the second half. So I I don't know, man. This is such a tough riddle that that this team needs to figure out, and it's just. Like we saw every single flaw imaginable in that Lakers game with with this team. I mean, the defense, uh, the the lack of offense from the bench. Like there's no offensive punch coming from the bench these last 
five, six games, uh, the the lack of point of attack defenders, the 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 lack of wing defenders, and then uh, the lack of a legitimate backup five. That look, we've talked about this plenty. You are not going to find any overlap or crossover offensively with Demontis Sabonis and the next guy. Okay, if you bring in a backup five, he's not going to be able to do what's, what what Sabonis does out there on offense. But if he's not going to give you that on offense, right? You need to find somebody who can at least hold down the paint, be a paint protector. And that you would have to imagine that Monty McNair has that in his head that yeah, he needs to go out and find that guy. So I will say one thing, and I think Mike Brown's done almost as great of a job as someone can do, you know, in their first year with the team. But the one thing, the only thing that's been really frustrating is that he's not even trying to run some of that those DHO actions with the backup fives. You know what I mean? It's like he has absolutely zero faith. And I think I seen um uh somebody uh, Kenny uh from uh freaking uh, what's the name? Uh Casey and uh whatever podcast. Yeah, D-Lo and Casey. D-Lo and Casey, yeah. Not a podcast, the radio show. How about I you mean, put some res- how about how about you put some respect on my guys' names, please? I'm sorry, yeah. I'm we're sorry. gonna we're gonna clip this and I'm gonna show him. Don't do that, please. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm in Ohio, all right? The Wi-Fi here is bad. No, um, but Kenny, I seen him tweet something. Uh, and it was something along the lines of like, how are you supposed to motivate your players to, you know, be great if they have such a short leash? Mm-hmm. You know, and I agree with that 100%. And now I know Mike Brown, Mike Brown comes from the Greg Popovich coaching staff. He comes from that that tree. So you guys know, everyone knows Greg Popovich has no leash for his players. Like, if you make one mistake, that's it. You're out. You're done. If that's, especially if you're a role player. I don't think Mike Brown should be that hard, especially on the backup fives. He needs to give them a chance to at least run some of these actions. Like, one or two DHOs at least, just to see what they're going to do. He doesn't even try. It's just pick and roll or they're just, like, in some form of rim running, like, Clearly, that's not going to work. It's like we have two different playbooks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's not like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not a player and I'm not a coach, but I feel like that's not fair to the rest, to the, to the bench unit. You know what I mean? It kind of makes you think like that's kind of why the bench unit is not really flourishing. You know what I mean? Sure. So I understand that perspective. And then, and again, I only coached in high school. So, you know, t- t- take take this with a grain of salt or whatever. But when there is a disparity in talent and ability between one unit and the next, I don't think it's necessarily unfair that you only run certain things with certain players and certain groups out there. And that, and that's just me coming from a perspective of like, yeah, like I've, I've coached teams where it's like, okay, yeah, we had like an eight man rotation, but when you put certain guys in there, you're like, oh no, we can't run this. We can't, we can't run this with this kid or that kid because he's just not good enough. And I know it's the NBA and these guys are professionals, but I don't know. I mean, hey, these guys are these these coaches are in every single practice with these guys. They watch all the tape. I don't doubt for a second that if they're going to be restricting these guys or kind of like handcuffing them to an extent on offense, that you know, it's it's not that it's that it wouldn't be for a reason, right? So I definitely get it from both sides, but I, I but I definitely understand it from the perspective of the coach, where it's just like, look, I need to put my team in the best position to succeed. If Rashawn Holmes runs a DHO for just and if he just does this on one possession where he tries to run a DHO and he dribbles it off his foot. Well, then that's a waste of possession and coaches lose their shit about that. So I, I can, I can, I can see both sides, but I certainly understand uh, 
probably more of the 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 other side of what you're uh, of where you're coming from from the coach's perspective. Yeah. So then it brings me to my next point about you know the backup fives. I feel like in this how this offense is run, um, you need hard screeners, right? You need someone that's going to set a really good screen. Rashawn Holmes is really bad at setting screens. Like, love the guy, but he just never was that great. Um, I think he's because a little bit smaller for a uh, five. But you know, Meto's Meto's a terrible screen setter too. Um, Nimi is not there yet. But the second best screen setter on our team is Alex Lynn. Alex Lynn sets a, sets a hell of a screen. Why is he not getting some some burn? You know what I mean? And I I did hear that he's possibly you know the whole stuff going on with Ukraine like he's kind of like going through things things mentally, which I understand. You know, if that's why they're holding him out, completely wholeheartedly understand. But at least if if you can't run stuff with them on offense, at least put your best screen setter in mm-hmm. the game, because Alex Lentz has hard screens and. Guys like De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk can utilize that left and right. Even Kevin Herter, you know what I mean? Can utilize that left and right. I feel like at least give Alex Lynn a chance at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. The one game where Sabonis did not play, we saw Alex Lynn. We have not seen Alex Lynn play in any games where Sabonis was healthy. Weird. So, yeah, I don't know. It it, it would be interesting. I mean, look, that's an option. You got to wonder why Mike Brown hasn't utilized it yet. But, again, that that's that's a huge riddle that this team has to solve. Um and the trade the trade deadline, fellas, when this episode releases, will be exactly a month from now. February 9th is the trade deadline. So we are we are in full-on trade season coming up here soon. Um let's talk about the King's newest acquisition, though. It was announced today, Sunday, we're recording this episode, that PJ Dozier, who was with the Iowa Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves G League affiliate. Uh, he was signed to a 10-day contract by the Kings. Of course, that meant that a, co- a corresponding move had to happen. And so a couple of days ago, Chima Maneki was waived. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people in Sacramento really fell in love with Chima during the preseason and during training camp. Local product, having played at Davis, uh, seemed like seems like just such a nice guy. And, and he had a lot of fans in the fan base for sure. Um, but he was let go. We'll definitely be rooting for him wherever he goes, but it uh, seems like it was a necessary move that Monty McNair had to make so that he could clear a roster spot for P.J. Dozier. So again, this is a 10-day contract. Uh, P.J. Dozier is, you know, prototypical wing size, 6'5", 6'6". Um, spent three years with the Nuggets, so he's familiar with assistant coach, or I'm sorry, associate head coach, Jordy Fernandez. Uh I mean, familiarity there. Obviously, they got he, they have people in the organization who knows you know, they they know what this guy's about. They obviously Monty McNair has been doing his homework on the guy. Seems like he's been doing well in the G League. So uh, KFR, I mean, from an archetype and and you know build standpoint, this guy makes a lot of sense for this team. Um, I'm I'm not expecting anybody out there to be a PJ Dozier expert, but with this acquisition, what do you think? What are you feeling? You probably know more about him than me. Uh, he never really stuck around in the NBA. I do remember a little bit about him as a prospect at South Carolina because mm-hmm. that was a pretty good South Carolina team. With like him right. and it, it Darius was, Thornwell. Yeah, him and Thornwell under Frank Martin got all the way to the Final Four, which was yeah. absolute insanity. <laughs> but I never followed him in NBA at all. I just know that occasionally he would find a role like here and there. Mm-hmm. 
as a backup. But I mean, he seems to offer like some defensive versatility that the question is, will he provide anything on offense, which is the problem problem with a lot of the Kings, like the defensive minded players like Davion and KZ, like you guys mentioned, they just don't really give you much production on offense at all. And for the bench unit, you they're not giving you offensive production like hardly at all right now. And I mean, Dozier is not going to really change that. But he's definitely more likely to find his way into like potential rotational minutes more than uh, Chima would have. So, I mean, it's definitely like worth a shot, I guess. But uh, it's probably not the move that Kings fans were like hoping at this point. You know, you would expect them to be more open to trying to find a backup five. But if they can find a backup wing defender, I think that's pretty valuable too. And who knows if he'll stick around, but I think it's a worthwhile shot just because of the defensive versatility. Um, Fish, you saw, <laughs> we, we might've all seen it. Uh, some Kings fans, not too happy about the fact that the Kings have been out and got another wing, which by the way, they do need, they are more locked in. It seems like uh, the majority of the fan base seems very, very locked in on the fact that this team needs a backup big, which again, they also need, they have multiple needs. This is just a 10 day contract though. Uh, it's certainly an evaluation period if anything, for Monty McNair with how P.J. Dozier would fit on this team. What would you say to, to Kings fans that are upset that the Kings went with a wing this time with this 10-day contract as opposed to a big man? Yeah, fire everyone. Uh, fire <laughs> Mike, uh, Mike Brown. Fire Monty McNair. Trade De'Aaron Fox. Trade Sabonis. I mean... Blow it up. Yeah, blow blow it up. everything up. That's it. P.J. Dozier, that, that's it's the last straw. I've been a Kings fan for 38 years. <laughs> it's the worst move I've seen. No, but I mean, Kings fans need to stop overreacting. First of all, we should be very happy that the Kings are taking a flyers on 10 day contracts now. Cause you know what, you know who takes flyers on 10 day contracts at this time of the year? Teams that are competing for the playoffs, mm. teams that are looking for a guy that's going to stick in the rotation. Mm-hmm. That's what teams uh, that do when they sign 10 day contracts around this time of the year. Um, do I think he's going to sign a second 10-day contract or even sign for the rest of the year? Probably not. I mean, he's just a backup uh, wing. Again, like you said, Monty McNair is going to see if he, if he fits and if he sticks. He probably won't. Um, I hope he does. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I would love for him to succeed, you know. I, I did like him a little bit in college. Um, but like you guys said, he don't really offer that much on offense. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it could you could argue that the Kings are probably Mike Brown's probably going to start staggering minutes now to the point where it's not just one of De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis in the lineup. It's probably going to be like one of Sabonis and Herder, and then Fox and Harrison Barnes with guys like PJ Dozier and Davion Mitchell and you know Malik Monk. So. It kind of feels like there's going to be a shift in in the in the rotation in the roster. Um, I think that PJ Dozier is going to get some burn. I do think so. I do think he's going to get maybe five or ten minutes a game mm-hmm. just to see what he's about. I think that bodes very poorly for Terrence Davis. I think that's very that's a very bad sign. Um, even Casey Akpala, and I think Casey Akpala has been playing well defensively, but. It doesn't bode well for those guys. So we'll see what happens. I hope he does great. 
Yeah, I believe over the next 10 days, too, the Kings have seven games. So, five? Okay. I mean, great. I mean, you have a guy in for a 10-day, you're going to get a nice look at him over these 10 days. So, uh, really, another reason why this is an ideal time for, for Montemagnier to, to, to bring PJ, uh, PJ Dozier in to see what he's all about. You mentioned Terrence Davis. KFR, you were in the film room earlier. And you noticed something about Terrence Davis. Do you want to get into that and let us know what you saw on tape? <laughs> yeah. Um, I went back and watched the Hawks and Lakers game, just the Kings defense, because those two games, the Kings defense was definitely uh, questionable at best. And the actually the last time we recorded this, I believe Terrence Davis was out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. We knew that he was going to get back in rotation at some point, especially with the bench struggling. Oh, well, sure enough, it happened like right after that, and he, he was in the rotation the next game. Well, I think it's very telling that the PJ Dozier signing happened right after the Laker game because I, Terrence Davis played some of the worst defensive basketball I've seen. That is probably the worst defensive basketball he's ever played in his career in that Laker game, and he was bad in the Hawks game too. Yeah, in, in the Hawks game, it was more of just like overhelping and his closeouts were terrible which is a theme with basically all the kings they can't close out abe touched on it earlier but he just bites on every pump fake pump fake he lacks any discipline on that end but against the lakers like russell westbrook started heating up early in that game and part of it is just all of his buckets were in terrence davis initially and terrence davis was just getting abused he had no screen navigation whatsoever there was a possession where you know, he's icing a ball screen, and he still lets Russell Westbrook get middle and basically gets right to the rim, which is the one thing you can't do, especially when Mike Brown preaches no middle, no matter what. And yeah. when you're icing a ball screen to specifically take that away and you still allow middle, it's a bad look. And there was a play late in the third quarter that eventually got him subbed out for the rest of the game where he just lost Russell Westbrook off ball, was ball watching, and Westbrook back cut him. And Mike Brown instantly called timeout and took him out. And there's a good chance that took him out of the rotation for the time because I, I don't think Mike Brown will put him back in after that performance because I, I think it was Westbrook was 5 of 7 or something like that when Terrence Davis was the primary defender according to the NBA tracking, which is not always accurate, but for Terrence Davis, who just doesn't even play that many minutes, to allow five baskets to Westbrook <laughs> in like three minutes defensively on the court is a very yeah. bad look. And he just wasn't had them in good in any aspect. And Abe mentioned he gambles too much. And I hate just like piling on, on him, but he's not really giving you production on the other side of the end either. Mm-hmm. And we know how he is on that end. It's inconsistent. He's going to go 0 for 4, 1 for 5. He'll have that game where he scores 26, and you're like, oh, maybe maybe there's something there. But But when it's bad, it's just too bad to play. And I don't think that. He's playable right now, and I, I think that Dozier is probably going to take his spot in the rotation for the time being. Yeah, and it's a shame because Terrence Davis this season especially has, has has really, I mean, he's given us some really, really nice moments to watch as fans. You know, the 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 Brooklyn game, obviously, on national television is the, the, the first thing that immediately comes to mind. He was electric that night, but yeah, a lot of times his, his cons just outweigh the pros, and Lately, it's just been bad with him. And yeah, I, I I would have to think that with a very tradable expiring contract, 
you know, he, he might not, we might not see him back out there, you know, uh, actually playing uh, in a Kings uniform from now until the trade deadline. It seems like, you know, any outgoing deal might involve him in order to make some money work. So yeah, it's a shame. Um, and it's always tough seeing players go out of the rotation, especially ones that you like. Um, so I, I, I'll give it, I'll give him credit for being a professional. You know, like he hasn't sulked or complained or anything like that. He was, you know, to his, to the best of his ability, ready to play when called upon. Um, it's just, it was not working with him out there these last few games. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I also don't think that it's a coincidence at all that, that Dozier ended up being acquired the, the very, very next day after that uh, disaster class on defense by Terrence Davis, really by the entire team. But you know, TD, like you said, certainly stuck out. Um, we can talk about somebody who has been bad though. Earlier this week, Keegan Murray announced as the Western Conference Rookie of the Month. He averaged 12 points per game over the month of December, uh, but 46% from three, I believe. Uh, yeah. Look, I know that out West, there aren't that many rookies I hear that he's going to be competing with for that award on a month-to-month basis, but really, really positive for Keegan coming off of that stretch where he was struggling. Um, and you know what? He's kept the momentum going. Uh, the, the thing that's really stood out to me these last five, six games, especially is as a team defender, he has stepped it up big time. You know, I posted a couple of clips from the Lakers game. He's, he's making that secondary defensive read. He's, he's been peeling off on guys. He's been able to, to help the helper a lot and come over for that weak side rotation and, and, and just be there. Right. Um, I think a lot of the gripes that now come from fans about Keegan is mostly his rebounding. He had no rebounds against the Lakers, which was a little disappointing considering he's he's in there. He's in the mix. He's in the paint. You would expect him to get some. But if you take that away, the scoring's been there, the shooting's been there, and the defense has been there. Um, KFR, you you pointed it out, and you talked about it a little bit on Twitter during the Lakers game. I mean, it's this is all positive for Keegan on defense, but I mean, th- this is this is staggering improvement over the last five, six game. Hasn't it been? Yeah. Cause I mean, we looked at the beginning of the season and he was just a huge negative on that end in terms of team defense. Just the Kings don't have too many defensive breakdowns for as bad as a defense as they are. But at the beginning of the year, there was a lot there in terms of Keegan just losing his man and not making rotations that he needs to. But lately, I mean, what we need Keegan to develop into, he like is basically developing into that. And there isn't a lot of bright spots for the Kings defensively, but I think he has been one. Uh, he yeah. he might be the only one. Mm-hmm. Like the weak side rim protection that he's been showing, like he had a block early in that Hawks game that was like mind blowing to me. I think it was on like Trey Young stepping over. I don't even like he, he. I don't even think it was in a pick and roll situation. So he, it's just a defensive instinct play that he's making. And we've already seen like so many flashes here and there of you know him stepping up as that low man to take a charge. And there was another one in that Hawks game, I think, but it got called for a block. But we've just seen so many flashes of that. He's making all the right pills and switches that he needs to. And even like at the point of attack, he's not getting bullied. Like yeah, LeBron scored on him a few times. LeBron's going to score on everybody, and he'd been scoring like 45 every night. It's asking a rookie to stick him is unrealistic. Now, DeAndre Hunter scored on him a few times, but I think Keegan was there every single time. I, I don't think that Keegan has been getting blown by, which we saw a little bit early in the season, and he's made so many improvements in basically every aspect, and it, it's 
really been staggering. And I he's the one bright spot that I'm looking like this dude is going to develop into a really like high value plus defender. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be the one guy that gets defensive stats. Like he'll get a steal and block per game in his prime. I have no doubt about that. And just a switch ability, like he can guard one through four. Mm-hmm. It's in a few years, I don't think I'll have a problem with that. Like you don't want him on guards for like that long, and you would prefer not to, you know, have him switch out into Trey Young. But with his size and length, and having some mobility at that size, like he knows how to use it. Like he can, Trey Young can get by him, but he he still has a chance to contest a shot with this size or block it off the backboard. And I I think that he has so much value down the line because of that. Yeah, early on in the season, he was friggin' toast <laughs> on the perimeter against smaller, quicker players. Uh, there was a play against the Lakers on Saturday night where he got switched onto Pat Bev, and I mean, it's Pat. You know, like all due respect to Pat Bev, he's he's not the best offensive player, right? Like he's not going to be like a killer on offense, driving to the basket like an elite guard would be. But he's smaller and he's quicker than Keegan Murray, and Keegan switched out on him, stayed on his hip. And then when Sabonis stepped up to take away the Pat Bev drive, Keegan automatically, just instinctually, peeled off of Pat Bev, took away the dump-off pass from Thomas uh, to Thomas Bryant from Pat Bev, got the steal. They headed the other way, and then he ended up hitting a, 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 a trail three. So, yeah, we've seen a lot of positive stuff from Keegan, and... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this to Fish Guy. Fish Guy, what are your what are your what, what what's your message for the haters, the Keegan Murray haters? That uh, I mean, we saw some wild stuff being said about this kid early on in the season. Is there anything you want to say to the haters? We got a message for the haters, the Keegan Murray haters. Yeah, heck off. <laughs> oh, stop stop picking on Keegan, man. Damn, that's our son, man. Yeah. You know, like me me and Drew Drew me and you had a long. Uh, talk an extensive conversation about Keegan Murray's defense when he was in college during the, during the, the tournament run. Mm-hmm. And I, even after we were talking about during the draft process, like a lot of Kings fans are talking about Keegan Murray's defense. Oh, he's not that good on defense. He's slow. He has no lateral quickness, this and that. Like, first of all, I don't know what they seen. I seen in college. I seen, you seen the potential in his mm-hmm. defense. You know what I mean? Even if he's not laterally quick, he is long as heck. He's a very lanky defender. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a very lanky guy in general. Um, Casey Okwala is not the best laterally. He's not. Casey Okwala has a lot of good defensive fundamentals, right? He has very, he's very handsy. You know, that, that's his problem. Casey Okwala fouls a lot, but he's handsy. I think Keegan Murray, like, He's very similar in in that in that regard. I don't think he's obviously not as great as an on-ball defender, you know. But we talked about it a long time ago. He definitely can be an average to above average on-ball defender. And he absolutely, I mean, he's showing it now, but he absolutely has all the makings of a guy who can be an elite, high-level team defender. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It kind of reminds you of like a guy like Corey Joseph. Right, like Corey Joseph was like he was a pass on ball, but Corey Joseph was like a genius team defender. And unfortunately, when Corey Joseph was on the Kings, there was no other team defender, so you didn't really see it. Right. But like that's kind of what he reminds me of. And I just I just named you two guys that he compares to and like that he reminds me of kind of in a way. And they're two different positions. Mm-hmm. So like KFR said, he can guard one through four, you know. 
Is he ever going to be able to guard a guy like Giannis? No. Nobody can guard guys like Giannis. But in the future, would he be able to guard? I, I wouldn't be scared for him to get switched on to somebody like CJ McCollum. Right? Just hypothetically, I'm just naming a random volume scoring guard. But a guy like CJ McCollum or, you know, a guy like freaking Kyle Lowry or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wouldn't be scared for Keegan Murray to be switched on them. In the beginning of the year, I don't think his on-ball defense was really what was bad. It was, like you said, it was a screen navigation. It was god-awful. And he was just, like, was getting lost. But he was a rookie. I mean, he is a rookie. He's still a rookie. Like, it feels like this. it's been, like, three different seasons right now for Keegan Murray. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's been, like, a long, 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 long season. And he's only gotten better. So I don't understand how Kings fans – and no, you know, we're not going to say no names, but we've seen a couple guys on Twitter <laughs> who've had takes and they're they're backpedaling. They're yeah. backpedaling. Yeah, elite backpedaling. We're talking like top five NFL scouting combine numbers type of backpedaling. Um, yeah, look, his he was, he was just too smart of a player to just, you know, to, to just keep on making those types of mistakes. Like, he, he's a high IQ guy. Monty McNair has a type, right? High IQ is high amongst those list of things where, that, that he's looking for in prospects. Keegan's, Keegan was just too smart of a player to not eventually figure this type of stuff out. The on-ball stuff, whatever. Look, generally speaking, anytime a player like him gets switched onto a smaller guard, it's the NBA. Not going to be easy. But for him to make weak side rotations and things like that, I, I, I think you just look at the raw numbers at Iowa and you're like, oh yeah, like, He'll probably be able to figure that out. He averaged two blocks a game at Iowa. Not saying that he's going to do that in the NBA, but to some level that shows you that he had some instincts and that he was there as a help defender in order to get those types of blocks. It wasn't like he was blocking the man that he was guarding. He was always coming over on weak side help, which is where he got most of his rejections from at Iowa. And he's not going to get as many in the NBA, but it shows you that it's there. And and we're seeing it. We're, We're seeing it now that he's made massive strides defensively over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and another thing, another thing that he's been like over the last like three, four weeks, like borderline phenomenal. At, he has been finding his spots to set charges. He has been so good. Mm-hmm. And now there's been some plays where he got called for a blocking foul. You know, the refs, how they've been refing lately, has been great this season. But regardless, that's something you want to see, right? Like the Kings haven't had an elite or high level or superstar charge drawer, I guess you could say, since DeMarcus Cousins, you know? And they have two on the team now. Or not, I'm sorry, not superstar level at that aspect, but like they have two, should be at some point high level, very good charge drawers in Davion Mitchell and Keegan Murray. And it's good that it's coming at two different positions, right? Um, I do think, I do think that there's times where I see King and I'm like, okay, he's scared of the contact. Like you see it when he, when he's trying to draw a charge, he's like, oh yeah, he's not trying to hit the ground. That's the reason why Davion gets so many calls, so many charge calls. Mm-hmm. Davion will hit the deck. He will, he does not care. That man is fearless. Once Keegan Murray can get to that level of fearless, He's going to be a really, really good defender, I think, personally. I always thought he had the makings of somebody that, not now, I don't think he could be all NBA defense. But if you look at guys like Clay, right? Clay was not a good defender when he came to the NBA. 
As a matter of fact, people never thought Clay was gonna be a good defender. And I think well, it took well that's because he smoked a ton of weed in college. So. Well, yeah. That's true. And yeah, I mean, that's just about it. He was just, you know, always high. No, but uh you know it took Clay like his what fifth season to become an uh uh an all NBA well, I don't think he's ever made all NBA defense, but uh to become on that level. Keegan Murray is already flashing. He, he can be a really, really good defender by next season, in my opinion. I mean, maybe I'm just, you know, super optimistic. Um, Real quick, uh, Clay Thompson, NBA All-Defensive Second Team in 2019. Uh, That's his only All-NBA uh, defense appearance. But yeah, it's, I mean... He's been snubbed. We'll say that. Sure. Yeah, definitely an All-NBA all level defender um, in his prime, for sure. Yeah, I look. I'm I'm just so happy for Keegan, and I'm just so glad because I I was getting tired of seeing the Keegan Murray slander. I was I was over it. So, uh, yeah, and and like you said, he's a rookie. He probably should have been afforded an opportunity to learn and grow from his mistakes, right? And now that he is learning and actively growing from his mistakes, we're seeing the player that he that he can be. And and look, if he had sustained this type of production. Like you said, it really has felt like three different seasons for Keegan. If he had sustained this type of production and never had that slump, oh, he's firmly in the conversation for Rookie of the Year. Uh, he's average, He's probably averaging way better than the twelve points a game that he's averaging in all. It's, he's he's he'd be in the he'd be in the top five. He wouldn't win it. I think Paulo Bencaro's got that going away, uh, running away. But um, you know, he he'd have factored it in. Speaking of Paulo Bencaro, though, let's talk about the week ahead. The Kings start a stretch of four games, three of which are at home. The first three this week are going to be at home. It will be one game against the Orlando Magic tonight. And then two games against the Houston Rockets, Wednesday and then Friday. And then Sunday, they have a date with the Spurs in San Antonio. What are we thinking? KFR, four-game week, all sub-500 opponents. One of these teams for sure is in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. Actually, two of them are. Um, but yeah, look, the, the the Spurs are like not the Spurs, and the Rockets are just not good, and the Kings play them twice. Orlando, I think, will be a little bit tricky. These four games, what do you think? Zero and four. No, I'm I'm gonna go with four. No, I <laughs> I hope that this week can be somewhat a wake up call. I know we keep saying that, but at some point, I mean. This team's got to figure it out, especially at home. Like, mm -hmm. if the Kings in this homestand with a losing record, and I understand they have to like win out the homestand to have a winning record. Yeah, you can't go two and three on this homestand, and that that is an awful look, especially after only splitting the last one. I thought for sure that after going three and three on the last homestand, which was also super light outside of the Denver games, I thought for sure they would come out. This one might even like go five and zero. Oh. That wasn't the case. You can at least still make out with the winning record against all teams that you should beat. Uh, it's hard to beat a team back-to-back. -back. The Rockets are hardly an actual team right now. Like <laughs> That team has no cohesion. <laughs> and the, the difference between them and the Hawks is that their guys are just not as good. Like I love Jalen Green, but he's not Trey Young. And Kevin Porter Jr. is not DeJounte Murray. They got some talent, but the Kings should 100% blow them out. But 
by saying that the Kings will probably go down by 15 in all mm-hmm. these games. Mm-hmm. They'll probably fight their way back, and every game will go down to the wire, and probably some questionable calls down the stretch. But I'll go with 4-0. I'll be optimistic. Though I don't expect the Kings to blow out any of these teams because they just haven't been playing that way. Hopefully they can... Hopefully talent prevails in crunch time and the Kings are so much more talented than all these teams outside of Orlando because Orlando had, has a lot of talent. Like Franz and Paulo were a problem. Oh. And and they were a problem the first time that they met uh-huh. too. So I don't expect that game to be easy at all. The other games should be, but they won't be. Just it's <laughs> Kings. <laughs> God, spoken like a true Kings fan. Fish, your predictions for this week. I'm going to say 4-0, but let me preface that by saying I do think that there's a strong possibility that the Kings lose to the Magic. Um, I hope they win. I mean, please, God, I hope they win. Um, if, if the Kings don't win all four of these games, and they should win all four of these games, it's officially time to sound the alarm. It is. And I, I know that I, I am Drew. You've known me for a long time. I am not the kind the kind of guy that panics. I'm very optimistic with the Kings, but if you don't win all four of these games, you have to sound the alarm. You have to, there has to be a move made. There has to be something done that needs to be changed. Okay, um, like KFR said, I don't. They should blow out the Rockets and the Spurs. I don't think they will, and it brings me to my point that I was, I was going to make earlier, but I forgot. The Kings have 20 wins this season, right? And in reality, only like three of those wins are blowouts. Were blowouts. You had the Nets game. You had the Pacers game. And then that first Spurs game. Um, it was close the first two and a half quarters. And the Kings kind of just, you know, busted it open. But... That that second Lakers game, the Kings kind of pulled away in the middle of the fourth quarter. I, I it was, the game was a lot closer. I feel like the whole game, but it's a problem where when you're supposed to be firmly in the playoff hunt and you're not really blowing teams out, you haven't really blown out any teams the whole season. Um, maybe I'm just being overly cautious and just overlooking and just thinking too much about the Kings wins that they have. But I don't think that's a good sign. I think that the Kings need to start. Mike Brown needs to start stepping on people's necks on opposing teams necks and really flexing the talent, the talent uh, gap against these bad teams. Yeah. uh, To your point about, not being able to blow teams out or even get blown out. The Kings have played 38 games this season. 25 of them have been decided by 10 points or less. And it almost feels like every single game literally does come down to the wire. And that's good when it when you want your team to be battle-tested and all that stuff and to be ready for those types of situations down the stretch of the season when the games really, really matter. But, oh, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And you play two games back-to-back like that this past week, you know, I mean, you're going to be more tired than you than you probably should be uh, after two days of rest after a back-to-back like that. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to actually go three and one for my prediction this week. And I, I just, the magic, 
They're playing so well. They're playing so much better since Markel Fultz came back. Um, Franz Wagner and Paulo were just were just going nuts against the Kings the first time. I would expect the Magic to spam that Franz Wagner, you know, pick and roll where he's the primary, and they're going to get a lot out of it. The Kings just do not have the type of personnel to hang with those guys. On the flip side, the Magic don't have anybody who can hang with the Montes Sabonis. We saw that the first game, but that team got off by 20 on the Kings. And I know that it was a road game, but if they're that bad, I I, I just, I don't know. Uh, you would think that a buzzer-beating half-court shot <laughs> would not be the thing that decides uh, a game against a team that's quote-unquote bad. Um, but that's what it took for the Kings to beat the Magic last time. Uh, that game's going to be tricky. The next three, though, I mean, the Rockets, their own fans hate them right now, like legit. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing like total, absolute, like just mental breakdowns from from Rockets fans on Twitter. Um, sorry, Rockets fans. Been there, done that. That was actually last season for the Kings. And uh, San Antonio, I mean, they've just been they've just been in a free fall. That team's just not very good. So I'm, I'm going to go with a three-in-one week. I, I think they lose against the Magic, which sucks. That means that the Kings will have a losing homestand over this five-game homestand, but uh, they'd rattle off the three straight uh, after that. So, I mean, I think I'd take that, I think. So, so... I forgot to mention one thing. The one reason why I'm kind of confident in the Magic game is, about the Magic game, is that the Magic did attack Keegan Murray a lot in that first game, especially Franz Wagner. Franz Wagner was... Franz Wagner and Paolo were... That was the game plan, you know, was to attack Keegan Murray. Mm-hmm. I don't think Keegan Murray is as bad as, as a defender that he was around that time. I think Keegan Murray will definitely be able to stay in front of them. Will they hit their shots? Will they still get their get theirs? They will. You know, they're, they're great players. You know, I, I think that if Keegan Murray plays the way he's been playing, the Kings should win this game. Yeah, that was the game that it was the screen navigation for Keegan that was, like, <laughs> magnified. It was awful. God, but, you know, so since bad. then, we haven't, like, seen teams attack Keegan in that way so much. Like, yeah, he's a lot, improved a lot at the point of attack, but we haven't seen, like, so much in terms of screen navigation. So we don't really know. That game will be a huge test for him because I would assume that they go back to that. Like, he's for sure going to have to draw the Franz assignment for most of the game. I would, I would assume. So that will be like a good test to see how much he's improved in that area. And you know, I would hope that it's a lot because, you know, there's a lot of tape that you can like draw from that game, and you don't really got to do much to improve from that first game because it was not good. <laughs> yeah, uh, only way was up for Keegan after that game. That was a putrid display of defense by him. But again, he was in like, what was the, that was like the eighth game of his career or whatever. No, even less than that. Cause he didn't play the first uh, game of the season. Right. So, you know, like the sixth or seventh game of his career, he's grown a ton since then, which, which has been nice to see. I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you guys uh, only ways up. And I don't think he'll be quite as bad uh, this time around against uh, Franz and Paulo. All right, let's wrap it up. Shout outs and closeouts fish. I, I got a feeling I know who the shout out is going to, but but I'm just gonna let you I'm just gonna let you shout them out anyways. I I'll, I'm not gonna spoil anything either, but I got I don't know. It's just I, something tells me that I know who you're going to shout out. Yeah, shout out to Brock Purdy. <laughs> okay, what is that? Six wins in a row for the guy. Five wins in a row. Oh Damn. man, something like that. I don't know. We lost track because we're winning so many damn games with Brock. Yeah, uh, Miami, Tampa Bay, Seattle. 
Las Vegas, Arizona. Yeah, that's five. Yeah. Five. Yeah. Guess what? Shout out to Brock Purdy. All right. Playoff season this Saturday. Niners, Seahawks. Brock Purdy is going to do what no other Niner quarterback has ever done to Seattle in the playoffs. He's going to freaking blow them out. He's going to destroy them. All right. Shout out to Brock Purdy. Hell yeah. Once again, just to remind everybody out there, the best product from Iowa State currently playing a professional sport anywhere. But especially the only good Iowa State product. Literally the only good Iowa State product out there. Can't think of another one right now that even comes close to Brock Purdy. KFR, shout outs, closeouts. What do you got? I didn't come prepare for this. My shout out will go to the NBA's Pacific Division. <laughs> because as bad as it's been for the Kings, just just go look at the standings and uh, it's quite a sight. Mm-hmm. The Kings are actually the only team in the division above 500 right now. <laughs> the Clippers have lost six in a row. The Suns have lost six in a row. The Warriors lost back-to-back games to the Magic and the Pistons at home. The Lakers have won five in a row and they're still in last. So... <laughs> It's definitely a sight to behold when you look at the the standings in that division. And uh, so, as bad as it's been, we're still in first. And I'm gonna take the victories as they come. Wow. Yeah, I I can't believe we didn't talk about that because it's just, it's like it's kind of funny. I kind of feel like we we went like a, a little bit a little bit doomer mode on on this episode of the podcast. Whole time the Kings are still first place in their division because nobody wants to win that division apparently. Um, it's looking like it's looking like whoever does win the division is probably going to finish like well the Kings are never going to be five games over five hundred that's just a thing so if the Kings do win the division they're they're probably going to win it at forty three and thirty nine and that'll get them like the seven seed yeah we're, we're the new NFC least yes yes well, I have a question the the NBA if if you win your division you're automatically a top four seed right uh, I think they did away with that because when the Kings were at the top of their division. Well, I mean, I think you can look now and it'll, it'll list them sixth. So I, I think they, I think they did away with that, but I, I, I could be wrong. I, I, I forget. Wait, wait, wait. it's, 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 it's confusing because, because there, I remember, yeah, people would complain about that. And then I think eventually they did do away with it, but I don't know. I kind of feel like, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's weird. I think winning your division in the NBA, I think the NBA is probably the one league where like if you win your division it's not that big of a deal like at all it's a huge deal in baseball huge deal in football right like you get in you know, like with football only having 14 teams it's like oh yeah like you get into the playoffs by winning your division that's like you get into the playoffs by winning your division almost by default in the nba just how things work but like i, I do think that the nba kind of realized yeah we should probably devalue this a little bit because it's not it's really it's really like not that big of a deal over the course of an 82 game season um Man, my shout out for this week. I mean, it, it, it's it's got to be the San Francisco 49ers. Look, if that team simply did not exist, I just I don't know what I would do with myself. They're the only thing keeping me alive right now, and I'm not even trying to be dramatic there. Uh it's been so much fun watching this team not lose for the last two and a half months. If you follow me on social media, you know that I post the, 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 the viral clip of the dude making fun of the, it was like a, it was like a really popular TikTok where a guy was mocking another dude and he like threatened to drink. He was faking drinking bleach and like faking jumping off of a, off of a balcony. 
I, I was I tweeted that out a lot last season when the Niners were going through it. I have not had to tweet that out in three months. And a part of me like sort of kind of misses it, but if it means the Niners keep on winning, doesn't matter. Does not matter to me at all. Uh, they're going to go into next season with 10 consecutive regular season victories. Uh, pretty crazy accomplishment there by Kyle Shanahan, his staff and that team. So shout out to the Niners. And then also um, shout out to all the people in Sacramento. I, like, I know, you know both of you guys don't live here in Sacramento, but we have been experiencing the quote-unquote bomb cyclone that that has come through and has completely just ravaged our city. Trees down everywhere, power lines down, all that stuff. Really got to give a huge shout-out to everybody out there who's cleaning that mess up and, and getting us back to having electricity because uh, I actually did not have power uh, last night, Saturday night going into Sunday. Had it restored this morning, and you know I told you guys earlier today, like the earlier we record tonight, the better because uh, another strong series of gusts is coming tonight uh my time is numbered clock is ticking as far as me having power tonight so um shout out to everybody out there the smud people the pg e people the the city workers state or whatever like whatever it is that you do to help get us back on track and get us back uh with electricity and heat and all that stuff like big shout out to you you guys are truly essential unlike people who work at cell phone stores <laughs> just just throwing that out there as an example. <laughs> well, let's take a step back real quick. <laughs> what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that, Drew? Nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it. Anyways, <laughs> thanks thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. You guys enjoyed this week. Let's hope it's a 4-0 week, like my two friends here predicted. And um, go Kings. Light the beam. Let's go get this money.